Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Good morning, friends, and welcome to Awaken. I hope that you are doing well and uh, enjoying the iconic, if I dare say, weather we've been having the last couple days. These are, the re- these are the days that we think to ourselves, this is why we live here. So hang on to these because we only get five and we just had three. So, uh, but seriously, however you're finding your way to awaken this morning, um, thanks for coming. Thanks for listening and for tuning in, for being a part of this community and the things that we're up to. A couple things before we jump in, and I hand it off to Mr. Art and our kids' message. Uh, A few things by way of community life that we wanted to let you know about. I don't know if you know this, but we have a softball team, and they're pretty darn good this year. They are called the Raleigh Dingers. Now, for those non-baseball folks, that's a nod to Raleigh Fingers and hitting a dinger, a home run, Raleigh Dingers. Uh, Either way, softball, it is uh, 8 to 9 p.m. this week, and do you remember what day of the week they play? I have no idea. Oh, geez. We're going to have to get back to you. It'll be in the Awaken Weekly. It'll be in the Awaken Weekly. So check the website or the calendar on the website for more details on that. If you wanted to go and watch, I've heard from a bunch of people that it was a ton of fun this last week, uh, a chance to get out and see some Awaken folks. Uh, We're hiring a part-time director of community life. If you're interested in that job or you know somebody who would be interested, you can... uh, send them to Jenna at awakenwest7th.com. Jenna's fielding all applications for that. Uh, There is a a silent retreat that Jane Berg is leading this fall. And actually, because of the way uh, reservations are happening, um, we need to know if you are interested in that sooner than later. So the dates are October 30th and 31st, and then the following weekend, November 6th and 7th. Uh, and that's a silent retreat up at Pachaman Terrace, about an hour north of here. So if you're interested, you can email jane at awakencommunity.com and she can get you more details on that. And then last but not least, Thursday the 27th, at the end of this month, we're having, uh, the building will be open for the first time in roughly six months uh, from 4 to 7 p.m. And that's just for prayer and meditation and reflection. And uh, we wanted to tr- try to make the space available to you. So uh, that's happening, and uh, hopefully we see you that night. Um, I think that's all I've got, so let's get this party started, people. Uh, Mr. Art Morrow is going to come and share a little bit with the kids. So kids, if you're out there, here we go. Art's coming for you. Hi, kids. It's uh, Mr. Art, one of your teachers for Kids Community, and I miss you so much, so I'm so happy that we can connect today. In fact, I've got a story for you. This was actually written by Mr. Art, but it's based on a Bible story with a little bit of uh, changes and updating. So, uh, do you ever play kickball or soccer? This story involves soccer, and there are two boys who are friends, Nate and Dave, and they also talk about a friend, Yuri. So listen up to the story. I may have to play both parts. They're in the backyard, to set the stage, they're in the backyard of Dave's house, and uh, Nate just biked there, and they're having a conversation, and it's a really important conversation, so listen up, and I'm gonna play both parts. Oh, hey, Nate, how are you doing? Did you come over here to play soccer? Oh, yeah, Dave, uh, 
yeah, I want to practice with you, but uh, something strange happened on my way here, and we probably should talk about it. Oh, oh, well, Nate, what happened? Well, I was biking here, and I was, was going by Yuri's house, and I saw him sitting on the front step, and I saw tears in his eyes, and it seemed like he felt sad, so I stopped to ask him what was going on, and he said, oh, can't believe it. He couldn't find his FIFA World Cup soccer ball. It was his birthday present from his parents that he had just gotten, and he just felt terrible. So anyway, I said, hey, I will help look for it around the neighborhood, and then I came over to your house, but do you know what? Um, Dave, during the way, I got to thinking, last night at soccer practice, when you were, as team captain, you were gathering all the balls and putting them in the bag. Uh, I thought I saw you put a FIFA World Cup soccer ball into the bag, and it sure looked like Yuri's, so I thought I'd better ask you about it. Well, kids, I got to tell you, at that point in the story, Dave kind of looked down, and then he said, um, well, to be honest, Nate, I took Yuri's ball. I've just been obsessing about the FIFA World Cup soccer ball, and I kept seeing his ball, and I just like wanted it so badly, so I uh, took it. Um, Nate, could you do a favor for me? It sounds like Yuri is taking this really bad. He's really sad. Could you bring it to him and just tell him there was like a mix-up? Now, okay, uh, Dave, wait a minute. You're saying to me, you want me to bring the ball back and clean up your mess here and to tell Yuri a lie? Well, um, oh, okay, maybe, oh, okay, maybe that's not such a good idea. Well, all right, I have a question for you, Dave. Here's two questions, actually. One is, I'm looking around your backyard and I see like 10 soccer balls. Like, do you have enough soccer balls to be happy? Um, yeah, I guess I could be happy with 10 soccer balls. Okay, well, Dave, here's my second question. What's more important to you, a FIFA World Cup soccer ball or your friendship with Yuri? Well, um, you know what? It's my friendship with Yuri. Do you know what? As we're talking about this, Nate, I'm thinking I need to take the ball over to Yuri's house right now and tell him the truth and tell him I'm sorry. I hope he'll still want to be my friend. Wow, kids, what do you think of that story? Pretty intense. And that's based on a Bible story. What did you think about Nate, how brave he was? Wasn't he uh, full of courage? that he actually would ask those questions and bring up the issues with his friend? What do you think about how Dave ended up responding to everything at the end about the choice he made? So he made the choice to tell the truth and to say, I'm sorry. Did you know there's a verse in the Bible that says if we tell the truth and say, I'm sorry, that God will forgive us? In fact, I would say forgiveness is one of the superpowers that Jesus has for us, because sometimes we do things that are wrong. We say things we shouldn't. Maybe we hurt somebody in our family or a neighbor or a friend or a classmate. Maybe it's by accident we're being careless, or maybe we kind of thought it through and we did it on purpose. 
And you know what? We can be forgiven. Isn't that amazing? Jesus loves us. This I know for the Bible tells me so. And Jesus will forgive us for things that we do wrong. So would you join me now, kids, in prayer? And let's pray about the times when we do something we shouldn't. And then our relationship is kind of broken, and we want to make things right. Almighty God, thank you that Jesus loves us and that we can be forgiven when we say or do something we shouldn't. Would you help us to be strong and courageous and to tell the truth to our friends and to tell the truth when we've done something wrong and to say, I'm sorry. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, so good to see you kids, and I hope you have a good rest of the summer. Love you. Bye. Thank you, Art. That was lovely. Um, if you would join me, let's sing the song of blessing over our kids.
Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all of my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your way so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of my bloodshed, O God. You who are God of my Savior, my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. God, you will not despise. Pray with me. God, this morning, as we think about this psalm and what it means to be honest and to confess, I pray that your Holy Spirit would, uh, would speak, would work through the words of the preacher and uh, that you would say and do something that only you can do that you would infuse resurrection power into these words, I pray. In the strong name of Christ and the people gathered together said, amen. Amen, amen. Okay, friends, uh, this is the continuation of our series called Lost in Translation. And this morning, we are gonna talk less about a passage being lost in translation and more about an idea which I think has been lost in translation over the course of time and history, especially if you grew up as a Protestant. Now, Surgeon General's warning, uh, if, you, uh, if you grew up in the Catholic Church, this one may hit close to home um, because I wanna talk about confession. And the title of my sermon this morning is Father, Forgive Me For I Have Sinned. Uh, alternately, I was thinking about calling it, would you ever consider? But um, depending, I'll speak for myself. I grew up thoroughly evangelical, uh, which means that I was told by people that I trusted um, that my Catholic friends and my Lutheran friends were probably not saved and that I, I should be praying for them uh, very seriously because they were in big trouble, uh, which meant I was weary of confession. I was, I was weary of candles. I was weary of incense. I was weary of transubstantiation. <laughs> you know that one, don't you? the theological belief that the, the, the bread and wine actually become the physical body and blood of Jesus, Jesus Christ. So I was taught, like, steer clear of all, praying to, to, to uh, saints or Mary, like, it, don't do these things. Um, and so because of that, uh, we being evangelicals, I think, threw the proverbial baby out with the bathwater and confession, this idea of confessing our sins one to another, sort of got lost in the shuffle. Uh, I, at the ripe old age of 43 now, have, uh, am beginning to, and, and more deeply, realizing the error of my ways and my, my beliefs about some of the things that my Catholic brothers and sisters and my Lutheran brothers and sisters and other people of other traditions um, 
that, that, that has been a part of their story and their tradition that was not a part of mine. And, and actually, I've come to appreciate the richness of some of the traditions that I feel like I've maybe missed out on. And I'm wondering this morning, and this morning is really a, a whole sermon of wondering. I'm wondering if confession isn't one of those things. So today what I want to do is I want to talk about Psalm 51 a little bit. The, the background for it is the story of David and Bathsheba. Uh, and I want to talk about that. But then I want to spend most of, my time, most of the time really exploring and thinking about um, like the history of confession in the church and its benefit or um, maybe, and then I'll, I'll end with a couple of my musings on um, what I think uh, is the benefit of confession and, and sort of this question of like, would you ever consider so that's where we're headed today. So a little bit of background, Psalm 51. Uh, Psalm 51 is arguably the longest or most complete and full confession of sin in the whole Bible. The, the content for this psalm is the story of David and Bathsheba. If you don't know the story, here, here's the highlight reel. David's the king of Israel. He sees Bathsheba uh, bathing on, so presumably not wearing any clothes, uh, on her rooftop, and he summons for her because he's the king. She uh, is brought to him. He sleeps with her, though he, she is not married to him. Uh, she gets pregnant by the result of that activity. Uh, upon realizing this, David sends for her, her husband Uriah, uh, who is a commander in his army, fighting a battle on the king's behalf, sends for him to come home, hoping that Uriah would sleep with his wife while he's home. Um, he, because of his honor, will not, and so David sends him back into battle all the way to the front lines, presumably because he knows Uriah will be killed. He is, in fact, killed. David takes Bathsheba as his wife. She bears him a son named Absalom, who ends up being collateral damage in the whole story. He dies, and then Nathan the prophet comes and confronts David in the king's court about telling a story about a man who basically took something that wasn't his. Um, and this is the content of Psalm 51. Now, many would argue this is David who wrote this. There are others who would argue this is not David who wrote it, but someone who was writing pseudonymously or as David, and this story is the content of the psalm. Regardless, either way, the first half of the psalm is about confession. David, or the writer, is saying, uh, have mercy on me, blot out my transgression, wash away my iniquity, clean me, cleanse me. So it's all about the confession of his sin, his wrongdoing. And then the second half of the psalm turns to the restorative act of God, this actually creative act where the divine is creating something new in David, not from nothing, but creating a clean heart, a new heart, as it were. Where there was once chaos and turbulence, the psalmist prays and asks for peace and for order. And it's beautiful. It is a stunning psalm. Uh, in it we see, whether it's David or not, an honest and heart-wrenching confession of wrongdoing to God. And this psalm becomes the part of the content or the biblical content, biblical uh, writing that, that really upholds and informs the church, what becomes the tradition or the sacrament of confession. Uh, and we've all been here, right? Maybe you've not had an affair or you know, had a man killed on, on your behalf, but we've all been to this place where we've made a mess of something and it is clearly your doing. And there hopefully is an outpouring of honesty and authenticity. And that's what we get in Psalm 51. Um, 
This, as I, as I mentioned, uh, this psalm becomes the content for what is a sacrament, celebrated as a sacrament in the Catholic Church. There are seven sacraments. Uh, this is one of the sacraments of healing. And uh, whether you knew it or not, it actually, confession still plays a role in the Orthodox Church and in many Protestant churches to this day. So today, I want to talk about sin. And I want to talk about the confession of sin. Let the record reflect. Pastor Micah wants to talk about sin this morning. <laughs> I've been accused of not talking about that before. So I would like the record to reflect that today we will. Um, okay, so first sin, then confession. If you didn't know, the Bible's written in two languages, primarily Hebrew and Greek. In Hebrew, there are multiple words for, for sin. Uh, pesha, avon, hate are all words that get translated sin. These talk about uh, intentional, like rebellion, rebellious acts against God. Uh, talks about like sin of uh, uncontrollable emotion, lust, things like that. Maybe done knowingly, but not to defy God. And then the last of which, hate, is unintentional sin. Or And it's, it's probably the closest to the Greek uh, word that gets used where Hate is really like, uh, it's to miss the mark or to sort of veer off the path. And then the Greek word that gets translated is hamardia, and that really just means to miss the mark. So if you've ever heard someone talk about in the Bible, sin means to miss the mark, that's where it comes from. Um, and this isn't news to anybody, it's, but it's worth repeating that in the Bible, sin plays a major story or a major role in the story. The idea of missing the mark or straying from the path, some would argue, plays the central role in the Bible. I would argue plays an important but not central role in the story. And in the Bible, sin is both communal and personal. It's both systemic and individual. It's something that I do and that we participate in. Um, it has to do with the intention of God uh, within creation and the deviation from or the direct opposition to God's intent for creation. So sin, uh, it's straying from the path. It's missing the mark. It is personally or systemically, institutionally straying from or standing in opposition to what God intends. Confession then becomes the saying out loud of that straying or that deviation or that opposition to what God intends. And, in, and for the church, it has become the practice of saying out loud to another human being your participation in that activity of sin. So before we get to a few of my musings on confession, and when I say confession, I mean me saying out loud to another human being my sin, or you saying out loud to another human being your sin, um, a little bit about like how, how it's worked in the church, and then a couple of my thoughts. So within the Catholic Church, again, this is a sacrament. It's uh, sometimes called penance or reconciliation, and it's the means by which men and women uh, who commit sin after baptism confess or speak them to a priest, where, and then the priest absolves them of that sin on behalf of God. So within the Catholic Church, the priest plays a very crucial and necessary role. That person represents the divine, and they speak the words secured by Jesus at the cross, forgiveness, to the confessor. So you come to me, the priest, you I say, you know, or, or I, I've actually never been to confession in the Catholic Church, but I, I hear it goes something like this. Uh, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. When was your last confession? You would tell me, and then you would begin to say the sins that you have committed. 
Now, there are two important categories in the Catholic tradition, venial sins and mortal sins. Venial sins are sins that will not separate you from God, but uh, according to Wikipedia and other reputable sources, uh, a venial sin consists uh, as um, sort of um, acting as one should not or uh, and again, it's not something that would separate you. It's not, it's not gonna break your relationship with God, but it might injure your relationship with God. That was a key part of it. And then mortal sin is, should you die without confessing this, there are certain mortal sins within the Catholic Church that it's believed that you might be damned to eternal damnation, AKA hell. Um, that's within the Catholic Church, venial sin, mortal sin. So you would come to the priest, you would confess your sin, the priest would absolve you on behalf of the divine of the sin that is the practice of confession. Now, again, I'm not a, I didn't grow up Catholic, so I'm speaking only in terms of what I have learned from books. Uh, and I think for most of us, this is what we think about when we think of confession. You know, the Catholic Church, if you've seen Fleabag on Netflix or uh, the priest in that show, by the way, is so fantastic. If you haven't seen it, okay. Uh, or the Two Popes, the movie on Netflix, which I would highly recommend. So good. I cried multiple times in that show. It is so profound. It's talking about Ratzinger and Bergoglio, the, the, the current pope and the previous pope and the re relationship that they had. And there is this beautiful moment in the movie where the previous pope is essentially like confessing to the would-be pope, who is a cardinal at that point, and the cardinal is, is absolving the pope of sin. It is heartbreaking uh, because of the content of that confession, but it is very, very powerful. I think that's what we think of when we think about confession. And as I said earlier, if you didn't know, confession plays a role in the church beyond the Catholic church. So in the Orthodox church, it doesn't happen in a confessional. By the way, if you didn't know, just over here to my right and your left, when you're in the building, there was a confessional. So the little woodwork piece was the front of the confessional. And when we came to this building, we deconstructed the confessional, which is saying something about what we believe as evangelicals, as Protestants, about confession, which is part of why I'm giving this sermon. Um, but that used to be the confessional. And there was, you know, the little space where the priest would sit and the little divider and where you would sit. But in the Orthodox Church, it actually happens in the, in the, in the gathering uh, at the altar. So there's not a priest necessarily, but someone that you trust, a spiritual guide, a spiritual father or mother who you would confide in for, uh, I don't know if it's for your whole life, but for a, a long period of time. And this person would be the one person who you would continue to confess to. And it happens at the altar where there is a gospel book, there is an icon and a, a cross that you're blessed with. And so you don't necessarily make the confession to the priest or the spiritual guide as much as you do the icon or, and that person stands as a, a witness to uh, that which is happening. And the further you get away from Catholic and Orthodox um, practice or liturgy, uh, essentially the less liturgical you get, the less personal and the more general confession happens or the less uh, the general confession gets. So if you grew up in a Protestant church like I did, maybe you were at a service someday where the pastor led you in sort of a corporate confession and you silently confessed your sins and then that person would sort of speak a, a word of absolution to the congregation, maybe before communion. And again, as you move away from Catholicism and Orthodoxy and less, less liturgy, you get a less personal and a more general experience of confession. The Lutherans have this beautiful thing that they have saved. It's a phrase, they have both kind of the corporate confession, but then absolution, which is where you would actually say to the pastor, 
uh, your sin. And they say this, this, this phrase, in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that would always be said by the pastor. Quite a beautiful saying, in the stead and by the command of the Lord Jesus Christ. Which gets me to a few of my musings. Um, would you ever consider putting the practice of confession back into your life? Where you might find someone, a trusted friend, a spiritual guide, to be your confessor, confessee. I guess you're the confessor or they're the confessee, but someone who you would confess your sin to on a regular basis. Would you ever consider? And here's why I think this might be a good idea. I'm not trying to convince you that we should do this or that my next project at the church is gonna to be to rebuild the confessional, though I can't promise you that. <laughs> but as I've thought about it and the theological benefit of it, and, I, and, and I, I, I've, uh, in a book called Life Together by a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he spends a ton of time talking about the intersection of community and confession. So I wanna draw a few thoughts from his work. Uh, the first of which is this. Confession arrests my individualism and demands that I participate and depend on community. Here's what I mean by that. Uh, Bonhoeffer writes this. He says, in confession, there takes place a breakthrough to community. Sin wants to be alone with people. It takes them away from community. It shuns the light. And in darkness of what is left unsaid, sin poisons the whole being of a person. In confession, the light of the gospel breaks into the darkness and the closed isolation of the heart. What is unspoken is said openly and confessed. All that is secret and hidden comes to light. And since the confession of sin is made in the presence of another Christian, the last stronghold of self-justification is abandoned. Sin that has been spoken and confessed has lost all of its power. It has been revealed and judged as sin, and it can no longer tear the community apart. There is so much here, but I'll just say this, that confession, the, the practice of confession, it arrests my need, dependence, desire for individualism, and it demands that I participate in community. Um, one of the benefits of, 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 of confession is it sort of, puts on trial this belief in our culture that I don't need you. Like think about some of the narratives, the stories that shape us just in, in our, like in America, right? The rugged individual, um, Descartes himself, the father of the enlightenment upon which the American project is founded said, I think therefore I am. Descartes talking about like existence onto, like as, at, at the very essence. What does it mean to be a, a self, a person? And his conclusion is, I think, therefore, I am, which is highly individualistic. So you think about some of the heroes of, of our story in America, right? You have the rugged explorers who forge rivers and you know, uh, cross mountains and the, 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 the cowboy, right, who stands on the horse or sits on the horse. I don't see a lot of cowboys standing on horses. Who sits on the horse, right? The, the rugged individual who beats the ground into submission and... And then the same story, which says that, like, 
the, the, the myth of meritocracy, that your hopes and your dreams can be attained based on your merit, your effort, your individual effort. And if you just work hard enough, you can get, you can be whatever you want, which we all know is not true, especially if you're not white. It sounds silly to talk about it, but the selfie stick is a really, really poignant example of individualism and how rampant it is in our culture. It says, I don't even need you to take a picture of me. (laughs) Confession as a practice, it arrests this value of individualism. It puts it on trial, and I would argue it finds it insufficient. If this practice confession is of value, as Bonhoeffer argues, and seemingly I'm arguing, not only can I not do it alone, but its prerequisite is not only community, but a certain kind of community. Not only relationship, but certain kinds of relationships, which leads me to a second musing, and that is what Paul says in 1 Peter, where he reminds the church that like Israel, God intends to make a group of people a priesthood of believers. So confession invites us to live into, as the church, this idea of the priesthood of believers. Um, This means that we, as a body of believers, we're deep into New Testament theology here, friends, so in case you didn't know you were going here today, buckle up. Confession demands or asks that we participate in this reality, a priesthood of believers, which means that I'm not special as the pastor. Jenna is not special. Jane, Melody, Trevor, Mandy, we are not special as priests, but rather we are all a priesthood of believers, which means that I don't have any special superpowers. You can serve communion. I can serve communion. I can speak forgiveness over you. You can speak forgiveness over me. Why? Because we're all priests and priestesses. What is the job of the priest? It's to represent God to the people, right? Think about what a priest does. They're a mediator mediator or an intermediary between the divine and the human, at least in classical terms. And what shifts in Christ and what God wanted to do with Israel all along, but what shifts in Christ is that there isn't one person who does that job. It's now this whole body of believers. So confession invites us where you speak these words of forgiveness over one another, it doesn't have to be done by the priest in the confessional, but it invites us to live into this reality that Paul seems to argue that we already are in Christ. This is what the Lutherans mean when they say, in the stead and by the power of Jesus. Bonhoeffer goes on and he writes, a confession of sin in the presence of all the members of the congregation is not required because in one another, or in the one, Uh, In the one other Christian to whom I confess my sins and whom my sins are declared forgiven, I meet the whole congregation. Says it differently when he says, a man or a woman who confesses his sin in the presence of a brother knows that he's no longer alone with himself. He experiences, she experiences the presence of God in the reality of the other person. Have you ever thought about that? Like what a profound reality that you and I, as flawed and messed up as I am, get to represent and speak the words secured in, by Christ in the death and resurrection of Jesus 
We get to speak the words that are true over and to one another. So in you, I meet the face of Christ. Have you ever thought about that? I want to suggest that you're missing out. We're missing out as Protestants who have largely thrown out confession as a practice, like one to another, we're missing out on a profound and beautiful and deep gift that God gives us where you and I represent the Christ to one another when we say, in the stead and by the power of Jesus the Christ, you are forgiven, you are absolved of your sin. How? Sometimes I wonder, like, I think I'm frustrated that I didn't get Sabbath, right, growing up, that we never practiced Sabbath. And I look at my Jewish friends and I'm like, wow, what a gift that I didn't get. And, and I'm wondering if this isn't also in the same category. Let me close and hand it over to Jane um, in just a moment by saying one last thing. Not only does confession arrest my individual tendencies and invite me into community, not only does it invite me, it's the inciting incident which every time it happens moves the church into its true self, but also it short-circuits self-deception. What I mean by that is, if you think about the spiritual life, how often do you think, almost all of my spiritual life is unseen, unheard, untouched, untasted, said differently, we believe in a God that none of us have ever seen, tasted, touched, or heard. You know what I mean, right? Like, it's all, a, it, now, can I experience and have I experienced the presence of God? Yes, absolutely. But like, I don't know what God smells like, or I don't know like what God sounds like audibly the way we think about sound and I haven't seen God in the way that we talk about seeing things. It's all in our heads in some ways and in our hearts and in our, our bodies, our experience. But confessions, and, and, and have, have you ever wondered, like, is my mind playing tricks on me? Or am I, do I believe that because I want to believe that? I want to suggest that when there is no public confession, one brother to another brother or one sister to another sister, but rather me confessing my sin to God silently, um, we, we, we may often be just confessing to ourselves and hearing what we want to hear. Bonhoeffer says it this way, in confession, a man or woman breaks through to certainty. Why is it so, why is it that it is often easier for us to confess our sins to God in silence alone than to a brother? God is holy and sinless, but a brother or a sister is sinful as we are. We sh why should we not find it easier to go to them than a holy God? We must ask ourselves whether we have not often been deceiving ourselves with our confession, whether we have not rather been confessing our sins to ourselves and also granting ourselves absolution. Who can give us the certainty that in confession and in forgiveness of our sin, we are not dealing with ourselves, but with the living God, he asks. And he argues, our brother, our sister, breaks the cycle of self-deception. 
A man who confesses his sin in the presence of a brother knows that he is no longer alone with himself, but he experiences the presence of God in the reality of the other person. This is the profound and scary and vulnerable reality of confession. And I would argue, maybe something that we should consider putting back into our lives. So the confession, the kind where you share with a brother or a sister, a trusted confidant, your sin, your participation in the opposition of God's intent or the straying from the path, however you want to talk about that or define that, your sin. And you hear the words spoken over you by your brother or your sister. You audibly hear them and you see their face when they say, in the stead and by the power of Jesus the Christ, who was dead and resurrected, you are forgiven. I don't know about you, but that, I feel like I might need to hear that more than I do. So I'm wondering today, would you ever consider putting confession, the practice of, celebrated as a sacrament by our Catholic brothers and sisters, back into your life? Pray with me. God, in this next moment of silence before our sister Jane leads us in a time of confession, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work and move and maybe even challenge us to take steps that feel scary and vulnerable to bring back the old-fashioned accountability partner (laughs) from college where we find a friend, a spiritually mature brother or sister who we might confide in and share person to person the ways in which we have erred and missed the path or the mark and hear the words that are true spoken over us by a brother or sister who represents Christ to us in the stead and by the power of Jesus the Christ you are forgiven in the next moment of silence would you Holy Spirit do whatever work you intend to do in me, the preacher, and my friends. Confession means agreeing that what you have done, said, or thought is destructive to a relationship in your life. As Micah said, confession needs community. Sin isolates and becomes worse for the isolation. 
Now, I don't mean that you confess to the whole community, but it is beneficial to confess to someone within the community, a pastor, an elder, a mentor, a mature, trustworthy friend, and it is beneficial to be specific. It is a blessing to receive God's forgiveness in the grace-filled face of another human being. That is when you find that God's compassion is deeper than you dared imagine. I'm going to lead you through a series of questions that may help you in the practice of confession. And after each question, as the music is played, I invite you to answer the question in the quiet of your soul. Is there a person that you are avoiding, not wanting to think about the words you last exchanged or an action that you regret? Oh God of compassion, this is my confession, forever you Receive me forever is your mercy. Are you engaged in anything harmful to yourself? This is my confession Forever you receive me Forever is your mercy Have you been careless with this beautiful planet we have been entrusted with? Entrusted with to pass on to our children, our grandchildren, and our great-grandchildren. Oh God of compassion, this is my confession. need to be taken to responsibly address the consequences <clears throat> of your words or actions? Do you need to forgive yourself? As we close, have in mind someone wise and trustworthy who can hear your confession, lighten your heart, and perhaps help you with these next wise steps. compassion this 
that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Will be broken for you. Whenever you eat of it, do it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took a cup and he blessed it. And he said, this is a new covenant, a new deal between humanity and God. And this is my blood shed for you, and whenever you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me. So, this table is a reminder of the forgiveness of God that comes new and fresh every day. As sure as the sun rises in the morning, God's mercy is new. And it's a place where we're reminded of that. So as you come to this table, know that it's the table of the, the Lord. It's not the table of the church. Not one denomination has a, a corner on this market, but rather it is the table of God. Uh, it's made ready for those who love God and those who want to love God, those who want to love God more. Uh, so if you have faith, a little bit of faith, or even no faith at all, if you've been here often or it's been a long time since you've been here or never before, come with whatever faith you have, come. Because these are the gifts of God for the people of God. So, come not because I invite you or the church invites you, but because Christ invites you. So as you take the bread, I invite you to hear these words. The body of Christ broken for you, take and eat. As you take the cup, I invite you to hear these words. The blood of Christ shed for you. Take and drink. Okay, friends. Deep breaths, everybody. <laughs> I was sitting listening to Jane and I thought to myself, man, like that's the deep end of the pool, right? And for a lot of people, for a church filled with folks who maybe have been hurt by the church, I recognize that like this topic may be a little much. That's okay. Take a deep breath. I'm offering this for your consideration. And you may say today, you know what, Micah? That's a little too close to home. I'm gonna need some time. Okay, fine. Take all the time you need. 
But I'm also gonna not say I'm sorry for offering it because I think it's true. And I think it's a benefit. And I think it bears fruit in our lives when we do it. So I'm inviting you as one of your pastors to take a courageous step to maybe do something that's really vulnerable. And I'll be honest, I'm considering asking Joel, who's my spiritual director, if he would be my confessor, confessee. I gotta get figure out which one that is, but the person who I confess to. I don't know if he'll say yes to that, but I'm considering that. So, as you go today, wherever it is you're going to, Know that the forgiveness of God is always offered. It's always there. It's in this moment right now, available to you. And there's something about hearing those words in the face of and in the voice of a brother or a sister that makes it different than for you just to know that and kind of imagine God saying that. That can be and often is very powerful. But to hear it from a brother or sister who stands in the stead of and by the power of the Christ. So, take that for what it's worth. This one I know, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and the church gathered wherever you are, said, Amen. Grace and peace, friends. See you next week. Thank you.